If you've been here for a while, uh, we have begun our journey uh, through the study of the uh, book of Ecclesiastes. It's not one that a lot of people will put on their list of must-reads. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's very difficult to read. But we've gotten to uh, chapter 4, and so I'm going to read of that chapter because I think it, it, it says something very important to us today, something that we need to hear. And in a lot of ways, uh, younger people are already leading them in this area. But if they're not careful, they'll overcompensate. So with that teaser, hear the word of the Lord as I read. I'm going to read uh, just the first 12 verses. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors, there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been born. And has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two handful of toil and striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches that he can never ask. For whom I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to the one, woe to him who is alone when he falls. And he has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And threefold cord is not quickly broken. May God help us to understand this, his word. I, I want to illustrate the first point that the writer... Uh, Often he's calling himself the preacher or the teacher wants to communicate to us. And it's, it comes from the fact that Kathy and I are grandparents and we want to be good grandparents. And so when they come over to the house, uh, we want the babies to be able to, to take a nap. Because if you've ever been around a, a baby who doesn't get their nap, it's not good. And so we ran out and, and bought one of these contraptions so the baby can sleep. And uh, so being uh, the man, it was my job to put it together, and that's really not real wise. So I, 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 you know, I got this thing, and I'm working it, and I'm working it, and who knows why it's not working now. Oh, well. It could it be that... This is the way it's supposed to go. So then you throw this thing down. (laughs) 
and then the daggum thing won't come up. And you know, I, I get so frustrated in this thing. I have this box that has a picture on it of how this thing's supposed to work. And so I'm going back between this box and this picture, and it, it's still not working. And, and so I call Kathy, and I say, come on, this can't be. Maybe it's defective, or maybe I broke it. And she says, well, look at the directions, as typically she does, because I, I figure as a man, it's somewhere written on the card, that we don't have to read directions, that we can figure it out ourselves. And she says, well, check the directions. I said, sweetie, they didn't give us any directions. It, wasn't, it didn't come with any. All we have is this picture on the box. And so she says, well, take it back apart and, you know... As I'm taking it back apart, I notice, who puts the directions on the bottom? That this actually works if you follow the directions. But in order to follow the directions, you have to notice. And the first point, this is why I'm not allowed to watch my grandchildren by myself. I always have to have supervision. (laughs) The first point that the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to make, that that illustration was supposed to make you remember, is as the, the teacher, I have noticed, I have seen all the oppressions on the earth, and I want you to see it too. One of the things he has been able to do as wealthy, powerful man is he's been able to see oppression. And because he has seen an oppression, he wants us to see oppression. He wants us to see the oppressed, to see what they look like, what oppression is, what they're going through, their tears. He literally says that, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. In verse 4, then I saw all their toil and all their skill in work from, uh, come from man's envy of his neighbor. And then in verse 8, he says, I saw vanity under the sun because I saw one person who has no one else. And then in verse 8, he says, I saw the person, the oppressor, and he's never satisfied. Do you see the oppressed? Do you see the oppression? Have you, have you noticed? Or are you so busy about life, so busy about your own issues, the things that are going on in your own world, that you haven't noticed the oppressed? That you haven't seen their tears? There's no face to the oppression. Either as the oppressor or as the oppressed. And again, in verse 1, he he wants us to understand. He's not saying, I have seen all oppression everywhere. I have not seen all the oppression that is out there. He's saying, I I have seen every kind of oppression. That's what he means in verse 1 when he says, I saw all the oppressions. He doesn't mean that he's seen everybody who's ever been oppressed and all of their oppression. He's just saying, I've seen every kind. Every kind of oppression And so what I wanted to do for us just briefly is to put faces to oppression. And so some of them uh, are friends and some of them are just people who have been oppressed. And and, and sometimes we forget. 
some of the things that people go through because we don't go through those things. We're kind of isolated. We're in our own uh, uh, cul-de-sac. We're in our own bubble. And one of them is racial oppression. And, and sometimes we think we've gone so terribly far from that oppressor, but it's still here with us. Just a few decades ago, there was a 14-year-old boy. His name was Emmett Till. Emmett uh, lived in Chicago with his parents, but he's really from Mississippi, from a place called Money, Mississippi. It's uh, out in the middle of nowhere, Delta, Mississippi, a really small town. And, and in 1955, August, his, he begged his parents, can I go back and see uh, our grandparent, my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and cousins who didn't make it out of the South? during the Jim Crow and and so they did they put him on one of those Greyhound buses that that goes from Chicago to to Mississippi and he and he gets to money Mississippi and and he and he gets around his cousins and they decide that they they would like to get a a coke to drink they'd like to go to the to the local store and get something to drink so they go to the local store that is owned by the Bryants and uh, Carolyn is a young uh, uh, wife of the owner but the kids don't know that they they just see a pretty girl and these are 14-year-old boys. And so these 14-year-old boys whistle. She's a pretty girl. Well, that gets to uh, uh, the husband that these African-American boys uh, whistled at the, his wife. And so he and his brother-in-law, a guy named uh, Millman, uh, they pick up Emmett and drive him off in a car into a a secluded place and there they beat him to death and while they're beating him they stab him and while they're stabbing him they shoot him and after they shoot him they lynch him how many times and how many ways does someone have to die they dump his body into the river where it's found a few days later and he's so mutilated he's so unrecognizable that when his mother travels from Chicago to get him in money uh, Mississippi uh, he The only way she can tell it's her boy is by the ring that's on his finger. And she decides that the whole world needs to know that her boy uh, was so terribly treated that she has an open casket funeral for all to see. That's August of 1955 and September of 1955. Everybody knows who did it. The two men are arrested and they're tried by an all-white, all-male jury and found not guilty in September one month later. And because of double jeopardy, they go around and brag to anyone and everyone of what they had done in great detail. Is there anybody who sees? Or how about political? We're in a a culture that because we have so many people that are migrating to the United States, not just because we're wealthy, but because we're safe. We're seeing the largest movement of people on the earth since World War II. People that are in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Myanmar are are flooding to Australia and New Zealand. People that are in northern Africa and in the Middle East are flooding into Europe. And people in South and Central America are, are trying to flood into the United States. All because of safety, because of where they are. They're gang-infested. The government is so corrupt that they can't put down the oppressors. And so they grab their little children and they walk hundreds of miles 
Because they know as hard as it is to walk, to stay could mean their death. Do we recognize oppression? I didn't realize how poverty-stricken Annapolis is until this year I found out that some churches recognize that some kids in our community, their, their family cannot afford uh, to, uh, uh, to buy them and make them lunch to take to school. And, and so our community, uh, through the government, provides for free lunch and free breakfast for them. But it never occurred to us, what are they doing on the weekends? If that's what's happening Monday through Friday, what's happening on Saturday and Sunday? And so a band of churches got together last year and have provided weekend bags of food, things that they can make, things that they can eat during the weekend so they're not starving on Monday morning because poverty is a devastating oppressor. If you can't eat, you can't think. You can't work. You can't even relate. I have a friend that a few years ago, I got this call from his wife, told me that his, my roommate in college is, is who he is. And Mike had uh, um, come to the United States to see his dad. He's a missionary in New Zealand uh, with his wife. And, and uh, she said, I hadn't heard from him and don't know where he is. And so we began searching uh, for Mike. He didn't go uh, to Arkansas where his dad or, or to Chicago where, where, where they used to live or in Knoxville where his sister lives. And so we found him uh, a couple of years ago on the streets of Denver living. Mental illness uh, I never recognized in Mike. But somehow in his uh, uh, late 40s began to surface in a way that made him act very erratic, leaving his family, living in, on the streets in uh, broken down cars and going from uh, one shelter uh, to the next. And so when we found him, we got him uh, some help. And, and then what did he do? He, he, he went right back to New Zealand and, and, and all we know is he just lives all by himself. Mental illness is an incredible oppressor. You know, as he was making the statistic that 50 million people live with anxiety and 20 million with depression. And what is it when you got both? And you just oscillate from anxiety to depression. And because you're anxious, you'd get depressed over what you're anxious about. How about human trafficking? You know, as long as it's millions and millions of people out there, nobody ever thinks about it, but if it's your granddaughter or your grandson or, or, or your daughter or your son or, or your husband or your wife, your sister, your brother, your child, then human trafficking is a serious issue. But something's got to be done. I have another friend right before I moved here, uh, 13 years ago, he was diagnosed with multi-myeloma. His name's uh, Robert. And Robert and I are about the, the same age. And, and when he got multi-myeloma, if you don't know what that is, it's, a, it's an aggressive bone cancer. And so when he goes into the doctor, the doctor says, you got about three to five years. We don't know very many people who make it past five years with this particular stage of multi-myeloma. And, and, and so he, 
what they do is, is they, they take all the bone marrow out of your body and, and then they zap what's left and then they put the bone marrow back into the body. And they can only do that so many times because your body can only tolerate that so often. So he had it done twice. And, and after that, he, he went through uh, incredible uh, chemotherapy and experimental. We're 15 years later. But never cured. Every so often, the specter of oppression of disease comes back with force. And he again remembers that the doctor told him it's not going to be long. And he's had so many bouts with it's not going to be so long. He said, just let me see my children uh, graduate high school. And then they graduate high school. Then I want to see them get married. And then they get married. And then I want to have the picture of their grandchild. You know, God's given him 15 years. But that specter, that oppressor, has always been there for him. At least for the last 15 years years. And so hear what the, the preacher is saying, not me. This is the colet. He says, behold, that's another word for look. Do you see their tears? Can you see their pain? Oppression is pervasive in a broken and fallen world. In fact, he says in verse 2, it's better to be dead because at least if you're dead, the oppressor can't reach you there. And then he, he doubles down and in verse 3 he says, better yet is not dead or alive, but never to be born because if you have never been born, you've never known oppression. Why do oppressors oppress? You ever think about that? Why, why do people oppress? Just two reasons that I can think of and And he brings out both for us. One is because they can. Oppressors oppress because they can. Oppressors oppress because they can. You know, they've got to... You ever take sometimes a a, a child who's trying to first learn his, his boundaries, he begins to test mom and dad. Just pushing those boundaries, just to see where the line is, how far I can go. And, and, and sometimes we, we have a name for that child. We, we call them the terrible twos. But if a terrible two really could do what they were thinking they could do, there'd be no parents on the earth. Because as soon as you tell the child no, and they throw that tantrum, whether it's in the store or at home, wherever, they're really thinking about eliminating the oppressor. But because a two-year-old can't do that, they don't do that. They grow up. They mature. Oppressors never get out of the terrible twos. And what makes it worse is an oppressor can oppress. It says so. Verse that says, uh, one, on the side of the oppressors is what? Power. The word power literally means to have strength and might and ability. The oppressors have the ability to oppress, and so they do oppress. But what's the other reason? If, if one of them is because they can, the other one is because they want. There's something that they want that they don't have that they think they can deserve. Verse uh, 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 4, Then I saw all the toil and all the skill in work come from a man's what? Envy. I want what I don't have. And because I have the power to get it, I go get it. You see, they're, 
they're so tied together. Because I want and I don't have, but you have what I want, I'm going to take it from you because I can. That's what's going on here. But truly, verse 8 says, they're never going to be satisfied. Why? All their labor and all their striving to get what they want, what they feel they deserve, even if they hurt someone, they're never, survive, they're never satisfied even when they get it. Why? Because there's always going to be someone else who is younger, stronger, better, smarter, and more beautiful. It doesn't matter how smart they are, how strong they are. The oppressor is always going to find someone else who has what they don't have. So what can be done about oppression? He really tells us, doesn't he? He says, you know what you do about oppression? First of all, is you comfort the oppressed. You know what he says? I see all the oppressors, all the oppressions, and there's no one to comfort them. Part of the call of being a Christian is to be the comforter of the oppressed. That's our work. That's what we do with people is not only do we proclaim the gospel, but because we proclaim the gospel, it compels us to bring comfort to those who are oppressed. Because we've known oppression, our two great oppressors, sin and death. Jesus has come and dealt with those two great oppressors. Who knows oppression better than Christians do? Not because we're persecuted for being Christians, but simply because we're aware of sin and death. And so we're being called here to bring comfort to the oppressed. But there's a warning, isn't there? The answer to oppression is one is better than two. You see that in verse 6. Better is one handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil. What's he saying there? The word quietness, let me use this illustration. I'll grab, I'll grab this one. This one says work on it. You can't see it, but it's filled with uh, a Twix. I picked Twix because it's Pastor Dan's favorite candy. And it reminds me today to pray for him because he's preaching at Summer Park today right now. And so that's why I picked this particular one. But I, I put work in there because we're being told that two handfuls of this is not good. Even if, you're, even if your calling is to bring comfort to the oppressed, two handfuls of that won't work. So, uh, is Carter still over there? Come here, Carter. Wake up. Come here and help me, buddy. (laughs) Carter Carter Burge is going to show you what happens. This is what I want you to do, Carter. I want you to grab two handfuls of this. Can you do that? I bet you can. Go for it. One, two. Now hold on to it. It also says that we need the quietness. The word quietness there doesn't mean silence or inactivity. In fact, it does mean activity. It means that, that, that we rest in something, and that's active, not passive. Hang on, buddy. And so I'm representing what the quietness is by rest, that we are to have rest in addition to whatever work, including our calling to comfort 
the oppressed, seeking the end of oppression. That's a lot of work. And, and right now, Carter's got two handfuls of that. And so, Carter, I want you to grab another handful of, of my favorite, which is Almond Joy. Not, not, not. Did y'all hear that? Y'all probably didn't hear Carter. But Carter said the most theological thing that was correct. How do you grab a handful of rest when you have two handfuls of work? And the answer to that question is you can't. Not only can you... I think in his head he's saying, I bet I can try. He's working on it. Do you like Almond Joy? All right. You're done. You, know, you never know who your prop's going to be, what he's going to do. But the point that he's trying to make here is that you can't even bring comfort and and work toward ending, if, even if that's your calling to end oppression wherever you find oppression. Obviously, in this life, under the sun, we're never going to fully end oppression. That's why Jesus is coming back. But until then, we are called into comforting the oppressed and seeking to bring the end to their oppression. But if we go full bore into that with two handfuls of it, no matter how good or how effective we think we might be, we need something else. We need a handful of rest. Rest in the finished work of Christ who came here and defeated the two great human oppressors of sin and death. We, are, we hold on to that as much as we hold on to our work because we don't get our calling from our rest. We get our identity from our rest. And we need both our calling and our identity. As we enter into the oppression of this world, we need both of those. And so he says one more thing. Not only is one better than two, two are better than one. You see that in verse 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to the one who's alone when he falls and not another to lift him up. They were right, weren't they, when they sang that song. One is the loneliest number. If Jesus needed the 72, if Jesus wanted the 12, if Jesus recruited the three, then why are we trying to go at it alone? We are incredibly fragile human beings. And therefore we, we need not only a handful of rest in the finished work of Christ, but we need each other. Let me give you an illustration of that. You, this is dental floss. And, and, and dental floss, in a lot of ways, is pretty strong. But is it breakable? Yes. All by itself, it's breakable. But I've got five strands of dental floss here. Now, I don't claim to be a, a real heavy man, strong, lots of muscle, but I can't pull this apart. Because woven together, Christians... We're one of the ones that we're woven together is Christ, the friend of sinners. It's unbreakable. It's unbreakable. You and I were meant to be woven together so that this broken world doesn't break us. 
so that the oppressors that are seeking to break you cannot break you. By yourself, the oppressor will break you. But he can't break us. At the core of who we are is Christ, who's the friend of sinners. And so I I encourage you, as the, the preacher does, see the oppressed, see their oppressions, bring them comfort, seek to end, but only do that with one hand. With the other, rest in the finished work of Christ. Bind yourself with other people who have two handfuls. One for our work and one for the finished work of Christ. That's our rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this glorious picture of the Christian life that is filled with our calling and filled with our resting. Help us, Father, to enter into that rest just as we worshiped earlier in the service that you have created a Sabbath rest for us in the finished work of Christ. Help us to lift one another up as we are oppressed by the many different kinds of oppressors that we bring comfort to one another and that we enter in to seek the ending, knowing full well that ultimately oppression will end. Every tear will be wiped away by the return of our King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.